0: Order now and get early access to the open beta.
1: All of us want to make a difference. As veterans,
0: we committed to protect our country. We served and sacrificed for the things that mattered most. Those experiences shaped our lives, even if it isn't always obvious to those
1: around us. And now that we've served, our commitments have taken on a new meaning. We're husbands, wives, parents, friends, and neighbors. But sometimes we still feel alone. We forget that our biggest challenge can be to ask for support when we need it. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans, service members, and their loved ones. Dial 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Chat online at veteranscrisisline.net or text 838-255. It matters. Welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. My name is Travis. I'm the host. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubuzoo Network. You can find out more on hubuzoo.com. I want to say thank you to my supporters, Mark Holmes of Reaper Detailing and Power Washing, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, my supporters, Super Savage Solid Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Kason Shaving Company. Now, this is a special moment. I'm going to get out of the frame here in a minute because I, I can't do this enough justice. I want to say thank you to David Danforth of the Veterans Brotherhood Motorcycle Club for introducing me to World War II veteran, Caster Salemi, who's going to talk with me about his experience. Caster, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you. All right, sir. I I just, um, it's a big moment for me being able to do this with you and we met at their uh, benefit ride. David said, hey, I want you to talk to Castor. Um, He's 100 years old. He's sharp as a tack, and he served in World War II, and I was like, I'm there. And I show up there, Castor, we're at the Portuguese Club in Bridgewater, and I see a man like yourself, you're playing with your iPhone and everything, and I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute, he's 100 years old, First and foremost, what is your secret? Because I hope to look half as good as you when I get your age. Because I was born 50 years ago, and you were 50 50 years ago. This is crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, the best I can relate to that is that my family, uh, which uh, my mother and father came from Sicily, and... uh, I think it's the genes, because everyone in my family lived to a ripe old age. Most everyone lived beyond 90. Okay. Yeah. And I suspect that a type of diet that we live on had a lot to do with it also. I call it the Mediterranean diet. Nice. Nice. So as
1: I understand, you your, your family came from, is Italy, Sicily, or is it two separate
0: things? Say that again? Is
1: Italy, Sicily
0: no well Sicily is part of Italy okay but it's Sicilians do not want to call themselves as Italians they want to call themselves as Sicilians
1: so okay so we will get this right you're from Sicily your family comes over to the United States yeah and and settles here right
0: yeah my mother and father actually born uh married in the United States they came over singly okay and uh, they married in New York and I, I was born we were one of seven i'm one of seven children oh wow yeah unfortunately there's only two of us left by now my sister is five years younger than i am so she's 95. so you this was
1: 1922 then 19 yeah 1922 1922
0: yes right
1: right after the, the first world war yes oh wow
0: yeah and uh, we were born in um uh, Avenue A on, in Manhattan, which was then condemned area, and it was the uh, people had to get out, and New York City Hospital was built there. Meantime, we moved to Queens, the borough of Queens, is another part of uh, New York. And from there, uh, I went to school in, New- in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Tech, which is a flagship school for for New York. Okay. And uh, I got a job then with um, Sylvania Corporation. Like the, the light bulb company? Yeah, yep. but I was in a research laboratory. Oh, wow. We, we were doing research on many things, including appliances, TV. Uh, we even did government work.
1: This is amazing. This is amazing. So, you you do all this. Do you remember, I've always wanted to ask this to a World War II veteran, do you remember December 7th, Pearl Harbor, the attack?
0: Oh, yes. Very definitely. It was a Sunday morning. I was at the the local high school, and uh, I was watching a basketball game when they announced it. And, of course, the game stopped, and everybody left. And... uh, it was difficult to imagine what was happening and until we got the papers the next day and and listened to the radio. Now,
1: had you joined the Army then or did you join the no,
0: Army? No. Um, I uh, then got a job um, and, uh, let's see, I got a job in work as, as a machinist. And uh, then I was, oh, and I also tried to uh, enlist in the Navy. You
1: tried the Navy first.
0: I tried the Navy first. Unfortunately, they said, we don't want you, you, you're colorblind. Of course, most men are colorblind to an extent. And uh, of course, the following year, they took anybody that could walk. And by that time, I couldn't get out of war work. and we uh, were are working for, for Sperry Corporation and making um, bomb sites and uh, and then I was drafted and I was drafted in January of 1943
1: so you remember Pearl Harbor you, the navy said no we don't want you
0: yeah that was in 40 40 I believe. Yes, it was in 42 and they said that 43 they took anybody that could walk. So you were like 21 then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, young man, the Army took you and what was that like?
0: Well, it was kind of a shock. They shipped us to uh, a camp called Camp Maxi, Texas, it was in Texas. And I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) and uh so we did our training in texas and uh, for and then we went to uh, ship did about a year almost and then we went to california to ship out and it's a riverside california oh yeah yeah and uh, got on a troop ship troop ship um I don't know how many troops they carried, but we did not have an escort. And we moved the ship, went down the coast of California, all the way down toward the equator. And then when we reached the the equator, they headed west to New Guinea.
1: So you're going across the Pacific Ocean with zero escort.
0: Zero escort.
1: And and the Japanese subs were sinking ships. Yes. So what was that like knowing that somebody underwater…
0: Pretty scary. …had to be scary. (laughs) It was scary, Uh, but uh, the biggest part that I remember was it took 31 days before we saw land. From the time we left California, 31 days without seeing land, just water. Unbelievable. I never realized how big the Pacific was
1: right right so you're going across pacific and when you where was the first place you stopped we didn't
0: oh you didn't no we went straight to new guinea as we approached new guinea as you could see like a mountainous area it was all green i said oh that looks great except that when we debarked i mean we got off that green was what they call kudai grass. It was about ten feet high. <laughs> so we had our our bayonets and we were hacking away at the grass to make ourselves a camp for the night. And uh, and we and I also remember that a lot of the food we got was World War One food. Get it was out. Canned food. Yep.
1: So they took the World War One food. Yeah. Box it up and then put it back on ships for you all to eat.
0: No, when we were when we were on land in oh. the, in, in, in in New Guinea, they were fe- feeding it. Fortunately, we had a good cook who could who could doctor the stuff up so he could eat it. But I remember opening some of those cans of bully beef, and I swear the palm trees would wilt from the <laughs> heat
1: because that food was like twenty years old by yeah. then.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you, but you, I think that most most everything was going toward the European water, the war at that time. Yeah. And uh, so we trained in New Guinea uh, for almost a year, preparing oh, wow. for the landing in the Philippines.
1: So, so your training, are you doing like going from the boat to the shore and you know pushing inwards?
0: Uh, no, we just found an area, a campsite. And it was a town called Finchhofen, which hardly was a town, I mean it made just a couple of buildings that I remember. But uh, it was just an open area and we just cut the grass down and made ourselves a campsite. And we practiced uh, learning how to, uh, well of course we had all our, our training on handling the the uh, 105 howitzers. Uh, when we were in Texas but we learned how to deal with the with the elements there because then we ran into the, the rainy season it was a rain for weeks right yeah and uh, everybody was got pretty antsy at that time and the people would be Colonel had us digging foxholes and things we didn't have to do but just to keep us busy right. But we were all preparing for the, for the invasion. That's what. we So
1: you're, you're in the middle of the jungle, right? Yes.
0: Like, were there so, like
1: bugs and snakes and stuff?
0: There were bugs. There were snakes and mosquitoes. And that's when MacArthur says you will wear long sleeves and you will wear long pants. Really? Yep. Did it work? Yep, it worked well. It didn't stop them from getting malaria. No, almost well. everybody got malaria.
1: Did, did you get malaria? No,
0: I did not, but I did contract a uh, fungal disease, which is very common. Oh, wow. Also, uh, that happens when you, when moisture gets in areas under, under the armpits, in the crotch, on your hand, between your fingers, and things like that. So I did get that. Uh, so... And, well, well. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was uh, saying then even even when we got on the um, ships to make the landing, many of those that were made the landing were propped up because they had splints on holding their arms up to give the where they had the fungal diseases on their arms, um, but uh, unfortunately also Like I said, I was in charge of uh, communications. We had our communications vehicle, which carried all the radios and uh, the telephone equipment. As the uh, the ramp let down on the landing craft, the driver drove off and ran into a hole and the whole thing sank. So we had to sit on the beach for three or four days until they gave us a whole new setup and then we raced over toward uh, Manila, but by that time Manila was already destroyed. And from there we went headed straight north and we battled our way all the way up from Manila to the north uh, on the island of Luzon.
1: What was it like fighting the Japanese?
0: rarely that you ever saw them. I mean we, we were seven miles. Being an artillery out of we were probably about five to seven miles back of the front line. So we used to send off uh, observers. Uh, most of them were in these small little planes, You'd go up and observe and we'd get the coordinates from them and we'd fire on them.
1: you're doing all that you're thousands of miles from home what were you all thinking as you're as you're going from island to island like
0: that well we didn't go from island as I said we just landed in New Guinea and then yeah it's like the Marines who had to fight their way out there they did they took the brunt of the casualties we At the end, by the time the end of the war came, we had lost about 10% of our men, which in a a battery of 200 men, we lost about 20 men.
1: It's just, it's hard for me to imagine that or conceive that because you were serving in the Philippines was the MacArthur time, right, where the president... Took MacArthur away from the Philippines, right? Well, he
0: landed on, on a different island. Okay. Okay. But the main the main invasion to free the Philippines was done on the island of Luzon. Okay. Because that's where the capital of the Philippines is. And uh, we fought our way up. We had some very serious battles so all the way up.
1: He leaves. The president says, "You're you're you're going away." What was that like to you all when General MacArthur left?
0: Well, actually, at that time, we didn't know that. Oh, really? No, we never got that information. There was very little. First of all, we had no radio. We never. Whatever news we got, we had to come down from headquarters. and.
1: Uh... That That's just hard for me to understand because even. Well. I, I didn't serve in combat, but they knew where you were pretty much all the time
0: yeah we were from the time we landed in the philippines yes we were in combat
1: but you th- no one was telling you what was going on
0: only what only what we got from headquarters that, that's hard for me to imagine but okay well, you, know, you gotta understand we didn't have radios yeah, today yeah. everybody's got a radio or something in their hand they know exactly what's going. On. we did not FM radios that we had were useless. It didn't work in the jungles and in mountainous areas. I mean there were there were areas that we had to fight. I remember going up one of the biggest battles, one of the biggest battles we were held up. We couldn't advance because we had to go into this valley and there was a mountain peak on either side of the valley, and every time we tried to go through the valley, they'd rain artillery down on us. So what they did was take a, a 90 millimeter cannon, okay. a small one, took it apart, and they carried it hand up one, one mountain.
1: They took, and, The Japanese took apart a 90 millimeter. cannon? No, we did. Oh, we did.
0: Yeah, we we carried one, one cannon up the mountain, and so we could see on the opposite mountain where they can where their artillery was. And when they pulled out their artillery out of a cave, we fired in on them and silenced them. So we were able to move through the valley. But still, I
1: mean, that's I've seen those before, and I've seen the 105s. Those aren't like.
0: No, 105 is a big
1: right it's a big, big yeah
0: yeah 90 is smaller
1: smaller but much 10. smaller to 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 man carry that piece yeah pipe.
0: well you get a whole bunch of guys you can move yeah. you can move mountains okay like a bunch of ants
1: all right <laughs> yeah you know one of my one of my fellow podcasters uh friends her name is uh mistress carrie we we're talking about you and, and this opportunity to talk with you and, and I was saying, you know, what should I ask Castor? because this is just, again, this is just a a big moment, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years younger than me, this happened almost 70 plus years ago in your life. And you're telling me like it's yesterday. And she, I'm paraphrasing here, but she was like, what kind of decisions? Or what was the, what was the biggest decision you had to make while you were in the Philippines?
0: Well, one thing I, I don't know about the decision, but one thing I learned is, and I learned a lot of this in training too, is you learned how to live with other men, and you learn how to respect them, because they were they were your back, they were your backup. You had to trust everybody. So the decisions were, you never left anybody behind. You made sure you took care of them. So, decisions, most of the decisions were made by the officers. Correct. You never made your own decisions. That's that's true
1: then and true now. Um, as the war wound down, you, I watched the movies, the John Wayne movies, and the Black Sheep Squadron, Pappy Boyington, and all that. Yeah, that, that's what I had as a kid, right? And, you know, I watched the old wartime movies. What was the feeling like when you all started to realize that you might come home or win
0: this thing? When we might come home and what?
1: The war was won. America or, was won. Oh,
0: actually when we, I got news from headquarters that we had dropped an atom bomb and no, none of us knew what an atom bomb was. We had no idea. So we waited anxiously until we got thing and when they said that the war was over and then our job was to gather all the Japanese that we could and, repa- and bring them down to Manila for per- repatriation I was going
1: to ask you how did the F- Filipinos take all this
0: because oh they hated the Japanese with really? vengeance and in an instance of that is as, as we were doing a repatriation, we'd load them onto cattle onto boxcars, and, and only men. Uh, I actually, I actually took a woman nurse down to Manila by, by jeep uh, because they wouldn't let her ride with uh, with uh, in a boxcar full of men. But the train would stop. An hour or two hours, the men would leave, jump off and relieve themselves, and they'd hop back in again when the train whistle blew. They would not be left behind because the Filipinos would cut their heads off and they catch them. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because the Japanese were brutal to the Filipinos. And we didn't see many civilians at all during the war. Oh, really? they were, yeah, they stayed away from uh from the from the any act any war activity. Well,
1: didn't didn't the Japanese like build tunnels in the mountains and had underground bunkers and stuff?
0: They hid during the day. We rarely saw them during the day. Mostly at night. Oh wow! Yeah, most most of our big battles were fought at night, not during the day. They'd hide in foxholes and wherever
1: so this must have been stressful sometimes trying just to stay alive or get some sleep and all the stuff you read
0: about well we had an arrangement where we form a a a group of men surrounding the campsite or rather the battery each battery had its own position and we'd have soldiers posted all around at night and Yep. And of uh, course, you also had the problem with wild animals coming in. Uh, yeah, tigers and, and snakes. And, uh, well, uh, uh, big, big, um, big animals <laughs> come. In fact, one at one time, the Japanese gathered a herd of uh, water buffalo. What? And stampeded them, toward us and ran, overran our position with the uh, with the wild buffalo
1: so so you know your buddies and you are standing fire watch at night yeah. all of a sudden you see this herd of water buffaloes heading to you all yeah yeah what did your officers tell you to do
0: every man for himself <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you can't make this stuff up this is just something else no yeah I've got to tell you another to, yeah, story yeah yeah yeah.
0: we trained we I said we trained in Texas and before we left Texas to go to California, they showed us a new vehicle, uh, it was a full-track vehicle, very narrow track, carried 10 men and would, uh, haul, would and tow a howitzer. Okay. Nice. We, we could race along the roads and train with that. Of course, when we got to, to uh, the Philippines, we had to, get, we had to get rid of them. They couldn't the minute they got into soft ground or into the rice paddies, they sank in the mud, and that because of a narrow track, oh, they couldn't no. get themselves out of the way. So they – we got to towing our houses with a jeep. The good old jeep. With a jeep. We towed them, and, and I, we had – they this new HD1 Caterpillar tractors, a very wide track, but very slow so they catch up with us later in the day or next day
1: yeah, because like you said the 105 is a big gun yeah
0: a big gun yeah
1: well that just goes to show that sometimes the guys in development don't know what the guy on the ground oh. knows
0: yeah if there were paved roads that we were on it would have been fine <laughs> that didn't work
1: now did you now, during all this, did you hear from your family? Were you getting letters or anything?
0: We got letters, pretty, pretty much. So, yeah. Sometimes we wouldn't get them for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden, you get two or three. You know, the f- food that they sent was forget that. By the time we got it, it was moldy or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the well, it's
1: thirty days to get to yeah. the Guinea.
0: Well, besides that, they were probably sitting on a hold of a ship where it was hot as hell.
1: Right, right.
0: And uh, uh, even the cigarettes that they used to issue, that they were moldy, you couldn't smoke them. And, uh, and some of the other stupid things I remember, they issued us as chocolate, tropical chocolate, and it was great. You grind it up and put it in your cup and heat it up over a boil, it, you know, over a fire. Trouble was, that stuff never melted. I don't know what the hell they made that chocolate <laughs> out of. <that. I> was,
1: <laughs> so it was like a block, it was
0: you, a block, yeah. And you grind it, you know, cut it up with your knife and put it in your cup, and hopefully, you'd hope it would melt. Wouldn't melt.
1: I, I never did that with my MREs ever. I, I think I think we. Yeah, we had, like, we didn't have well, you that. you got to
0: remember, this was the beginning of tropical war for us. We knew nothing about tropical right, war. Right. One, of, one of the biggest losses we had uh, one night where we uh, the Japanese would sit on the on the top of a mountain peak and sit on the other side of the peak and look down at us. They'd pull their guns up over the peak and fire on us, then pull back uh it was dusk one night they started raining down artillery on us and uh, one round landed in our in a foxhole that contained all our cooks killed them all at once uh, i think it's uh i don't remember how many there were but i think it was at least five or six
1: well, that's hard yeah i mean the loss of life one thing but people don't understand how important cooks are you get
0: around the lamb directly in a a foxhole that's there was no getting away from that right
1: as you as you go through this though and you hear about the atom bomb going off there was no doubt this is the right place for you to be did you ever doubt yourself
0: No, no never no Sometimes, we never, never thought about when the war was going to end, though. That never, you know, just day to day, took it as it came. Well,
1: it's just we're seeing in Ukraine where sometimes the, the different soldiers are like, I don't know why I'm even here. And it, it doesn't seem that way, reading about your story. Well,
0: we knew that, we knew the brutality of the Japanese, what they were doing to the Filipinos. And uh, so there was no doubt why we were there.
1: What was coming home like?
0: Ah, that's a whole another story. Okay. As I told you, I got, had got a uh, tropical disease, uh, fungus, and I was in. It got so bad I couldn't walk. I had it all over my feet and my hands. So they brought me uh, down to Manila. I was in a hospital in Manila, and and then a. I got on a was sent home on a hospital ship, which was a kind of a small ship, flat bottom, twin screw. Never meant for ocean use, I'm sure. And because the Philippines are a thousand islands, and we during the night we zigzagged amongst all these islands out into the open ocean, and. Uh, we hit the rear end of a typhoon, and this ship was never meant for that. And it would, 40-foot waves was not, I mean, you couldn't see the top of them.
1: And how, how, how long is this ship? This is like a small, like 30, 40-foot?
0: Oh, no, it's probably maybe 200 foot. Okay, so small though still. This is a small, about two, three maybe 300 foot I don't remember what I remember is that patients that could walk were in the front of the ship and the rear of the ship those that couldn't walk were in the center but everybody got sick the doctors were sick the nurses were sick I I got sick I don't think I got out of bed for 12 days I was so sick I mean going up and down like a yo-yo well 40 feet is like a four-story five story building you couldn't see the top couldn't see the top of the waves. we climb up like a mountain, just chug our way up to the top and roll down like a roller coaster. Down the other side.
1: That's crazy. Um
0: uh, I won't to this day I won't go on a ship in the ocean. You're done. I'm done. <laughs> People want me to go on these these ships for a vacation. No way. No way. I'm not I won't go on the ocean. Well I don't blame you. I mean Oh.
1: How long were you on this ship? Like, a, like a month or so. Well, something?
0: coming back, we did it in, in uh, I think uh, eighteen days.
1: So, for the majority of your trip, you're sick, and in a storm. Yep. What happens when you touch American soil for the first time?
0: You mean, coming back.
1: Coming back, yeah. Oh, that
0: was a beauty. That was wonderful. Yeah. And. Uh, we uh, it was almost, not quite Christmas, the day before Christmas when we landed and they brought us into this open area and they had all kinds of food laid out for us and drinks and I hadn't tasted fresh milk in, what, three years? <laughs> so I grabbed a bottle of what I thought was milk and of course it was buttermilk and I was threw up right there. Uh, so but then I was invited to um, they all almost everybody was invited to pr- private homes for Christmas oh that's great yeah uh, I did not get to a private home but I went to a private uh, hall where they had uh, music and dancing and bringing in the uh, new year
1: now did you and have it, a girlfriend or wife when during the war or did you get married afterwards
0: no there were no civilians okay as I said, we never ran across civilians. Okay. So, uh, and then they put me on a hospital train, and went straight to West Virginia, uh, uh, Greenbrier, Okay. And, uh, and we was there in the hospital for a couple of days, which interestingly enough had all German. German nurses that they were actually prisoners of war that were there, acting as nurses.
1: So they, they brought German nurses who were prisoners No, no. Of, they were men. They were men? Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. They, I, they must have been prisoners of war that were working for the, for the U.S. Army. Get out. Yeah. the Greenbrier. They could Today speak. you couldn't afford to go to Greenbrier.
1: This is just unbelievable. So you you, you you come from the west coast of West Virginia. You're being taken... In a taken hospital train. I hospital train. Sit
0: a, I lay in a cot and I had to sleep in a bed all day for, for two days. So I was, two, day, two or three days it took across, across the country. Wow. Yeah.
1: How long were you in West Virginia for?
0: Uh, About three or four days. And then I went home and I spent a week, I believe, a week at home. And then I was when I was discharged from there.
1: What was it like coming home? It's been three years. You haven't seen your
0: friends or family. Hmm. It was very strange. The thing we missed most of all was camaraderie. You went home and you missed being with a bunch of guys
1: your your boys your crew your 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 squad yeah
0: and got to the point where we'd all get all every even if we didn't know each other we got it at the local pub or Lego bar and just just to just to be with somebody and talk right yeah
1: it's funny in a way that's the same thing that a lot of people including myself felt when I got out there was The people that you had worked with, and and you'd take a bullet for them, and and they would for you, gone. Yeah, what do you do?
0: I hated that. I I missed. I missed that.
1: But were you part of the VFW after World War II and all that? Uh,
0: I think I joined. I think I joined the uh, VFW and the American Legion, but I wasn't active in it at that time. I became very active when I moved up here to Massachusetts. I belong to the uh, Disabled American Veterans. Um, I became commander. Uh, I'm now um, also, I'm still at the DAB and I'm also a member of the American Legion. And I'm also um advise, advise, a part of the advisory group the town veterans office
1: so it, it's 100 years old and you are still serving
0: oh yes now, I'm very active in the uh, Veterans Affairs now, now
1: why is that some some veterans are like okay I served and I'm done why do you continue to serve hmm. you know
0: I just need to be with them. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. In fact, I had my 100th birthday party and I had a wonderful... And people asked me, what can we give you? I said, if I don't have it by 100, I don't need it. (laughs) So I said, if you want to give something, make a contribution to the veterans that are needy and i got i got a lot i got a large contribution from people to give to the reference office and who distributes it to those needing veterans uh,
1: again i'm 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 50 years old you were 50 when i was born i i want to be you when i'm 100 <laughs> caster it, well it just goes to show you some some people like what can I do or how can I help you know or I'm too old I'm like no you're not too old you're not too old you're not too old at all oh I can't
0: I, I can't sit still and no can't do it no got to keep moving I gotta keep moving that's an old saying I might like, keep moving or they'll bury you
1: I remember that one I remember that one well it's just again you know David Danforth from the veterans brotherhood approached me uh, about you know talking with you and and like i said i came down there and we're talking before the motorcycle ride and it it was just like wow i mean so many things had to happen to make this happen i feel really honored to be here thank you so much
0: oh wow i enjoy being with that that, by the way that that motorcycle group was a great Bunch of guys. They contribute a lot to, like I say, I'm part of the uh, veterans organizations. And I also am um, a member of the N, uh, uh, NA North Alabama Friends of the Veterans, N-A-F-B, NAVF, yeah. Okay. Um, which is a separate corporation uh, which I'm um, part of the members and we collect funds And usually they uh, contribute by local people these funds and we put on a uh, a, a picnic for the uh, veterans and their families every fourth of fourth Ju- of july and we do also do a christmas party every fourth of july i mean every christmas um and the that motorcycle group pays for all the food for our picnic area on 4th of July.
1: Well, that's the thing. Talking with David, you know, your service, you know, makes what he does for veterans, inspires him. I mean, your service, your example inspires me. I'm, I'm, I'm like sometimes i feel old i'm like i can't say that anymore caster <laughs> i can't say that anymore i'm like a hundred year old man well, has run circles well, around
0: i look at it this way i say hey you're still a young guy oh
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just um it, it's really amazing as as you've done all this with veterans and poor veterans from from for some people long ago till now what do you say to veterans who are trying to find their way after they've served and they're trying to deal with being alone what's the best way to deal with that
0: you know my whole thing is if if you're if you're not a social person you're going to be left in a cold You've got to learn how to deal with people, how to learn to be friends with people. Even if you're not, even if you don't like them, just, you can talk to them. You can be a, be a talking friend, sure. if you would. Well, but I, I, I Being alone is the worst thing you can do. Don't be alone. But, and, uh. I found that out and, uh, that's why I like to be with veterans I work for them I'm happy to be with them
1: well this is amazing so I'm going to lean down here again because uh, this is the man right here make get over here so this is the truth I'm 50. Mr. S- uh, Caster here is 100 so he was 50 when i was born and we're talking here he served in world war ii we're both veterans and it's just it's just been an honor it's been a real honor being here. well it's
0: been my pleasure to be with you and talk to you
1: well i'll definitely have to come down and check out some of your events and uh, this might be the last time we see each other and uh, i i've just uh,
0: Well, if you're around at Christmas time and like to spend Christmas with us, we'll be happy to have you.
1: We'll we'll, we'll make that happen. I'll even sing a Christmas carol for you.
0: (laughs) There you go. Oh, that's wonderful.
1: That's a promise. That's a promise. Well, I'm Travis with Oscar Mike Radio. I'm with Catherine Salemi, World War II veteran, Army veteran, and uh, it's just been a great moment. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I will say this. Those, Those Marines took the brunt of it. They did they did I, when I when I saw that island hopping that the, that the Marines did uh, my heart bled for them guys
1: okay so because I've never had anybody tell me what that was like I've seen the pictures of them hauling the machine guns and the jeeps just in mud up to the hood Yeah. and they're still having to go there and they had to because the Japanese were so embedded in the island
0: yeah they were yeah
1: and they were told to fight to the death and the Japanese wouldn't surrender
0: see by the time we reached uh, the Philippines uh, they had to realize I think at that point they had already lost the war so they were fighting a battle just to stay alive at that time and they just destroyed everything as they backed up.
1: Did you did you agree with the bomb being dropped? Would it have taken longer? That's
0: been a tough thing for me. Really? Yeah. Uh, I realized that it probably saved many lives, American lives. But I also realized how many innocent people were killed. That's yeah. hard to come to. Come, say yes, you know, well, one way or right. the other. It's, it's a question I always have in my mind.
1: It certainly was. I mean, because the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps, and the Army were so entrenched trying to get to the, the, the mainland Japan.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, my heart goes out for the thousands of our killed who had nothing to do with the way the country was run they're just innocent people right I had
1: no idea what was going to go on
0: yeah well they did the same thing in Germany when firebombed what was it that city killed thousands
1: it it, it was something and it, it's a it's a wars fought differently now like I, I don't know if, if, if you'd ever wage war like that again
0: but today it's today it's even worse it is yeah
1: in, in what way
0: because they got weapons now that are much more destructive than the ones we had yeah. even the atom bombs that they're making today are twice as powerful or more than twice as powerful they've been talking about using hydrogen bombs which just blows my mind
1: i learned from my grandfather from my time in the service that everybody said World War One was supposed to be the last war and then World War Two was supposed to be it do you ever think we'll get to a time where there's no war no no
0: no as long as you've got idiots like Putin
1: how in your mind then how brave the people of Ukraine fighting for their country
0: I think they're very brave and uh, unfortunately I don't know that they're going to win.
1: It's hard, right? I, I, if they can't...
0: And what do they got left that took their country is to being totally destroyed?
1: It just seems now that it's just being, he's just attacking to attack it.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to end. Very, very, very sad for those people. it is
1: sad and I think you're right. I think you know we're never going to get to a point where we don't have some kind of conflict.
0: No. As long as we have we have people that going to have a say over what happens to a country like Putin. What do you do? What can you do? I mean we can, my thought was why don't we drop a couple of bombs on him instead of him dropping all the ones on on the Ukraine but you never know What an idiot like him he may decide to use a, an atom bomb right and then, then we got another situation
1: you, you've got him you've got uh Kim Jong in uh North Korea there, there's yeah. some crazy people out there These people out there I just, um, again, I'm just getting chills, you know, talking with you like this. Um, there's just so much knowledge here. Uh, I, I can't wait to see you again. A close like this. Do you ever think back to your buddies you served with in the Philippines?
0: Today, but what?
1: Do you ever think back to the buddies you served with in the Philippines?
0: Oh, yeah. I lost the last one of my buddies two years ago. There's none left. I had made friends with a uh, Marine who was a lot younger than I was, and uh, he just passed away two, a year ago. So really, that's the trouble with getting old, you you have no more friends. So the friends I have are those young people that I'm working with or try to do, be with.
1: Well, hopefully you have a lot of those, because… Yeah, I do.
0: Uh, I think the evidence of 100 people at my birthday party was a really good evidence. Yes.
1: Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. David told me he went there and had a great time. And it yeah. was just awesome. It was awesome. Well, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Oh,
0: it's been a pleasure. It's been a real honor. And I, I'm very impressed that you were a Marine. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, just you not were a marine but you are a marine i'm sorry Uh, it's all
1: right it's all right i mean you i'm not gonna make a big deal of it but uh you should i should
0: yes you should be proud of that i am proud i am proud yeah yeah, absolutely
1: well again i'm with castor salemi the the man that he's not he is a legend and uh a legend (laughs) yeah you're a legend ah absolutely absolutely so uh I will be talking to you, and um, this please.
0: I, pre- I wish you would keep in contact. I, I'm going to. Yeah, I'd like that.
1: All right, I'm going to. I guess I'm singing it, and that'll be for Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. All right, <laughs> we'll put it down. Very good. Well, if you're an Oscar Mike Radio, we are mission flight. This has been an amazing experience, and uh, we'll be back on soon. Take care. Thank you for joining me and watching Oscar Mike Radio. Now go to OscarMikeRadio.com and click shop to check out all the cool merchandise from Authentically American. All proceeds go to veteran service organizations. We are Mission in Flight.